If I were to ask you, and most of you know the answer to this, but I do this when I travel a lot. If I were to ask you, what would you think is the holiest thing there is to God? Most people would say, well, it's the Bible because it is the holy word of God. But the reality of it is, is that because man has interpreted, man has translated, and it's been thousands of years since it was spoken, and most of us know, especially the New Testament, there's not an original transcript of the Bible that, yes, the Bible is holy, but would it be the holiest thing there is in the eyes of God? And then somebody else might say, well, it's, it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. And, and I will tell you this, that, that there's no country in the world like Israel, and there's no city in any country like Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, you do feel the supernatural presence of God in that city. The Bible's holy, and the Sabbath is holy, and, and we can name many other things, but if we really want to know what the most holy thing is to God, then all we have to do is look at the first thing that God called holy. He didn't call, the first thing wasn't his word that he called holy. The first thing wasn't the city that he called holy. As a matter of fact, the holiest thing to God is not a place, but it's a place in time. And on the seventh day, God created the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, now watch this. Why is that? Because there are some people in parts of the world, now not so much today, but even today, they'll, they'll never have. I've been in places in Africa where they, they only got parts of the Bible. There are places in China that still today you've got to smuggle the Bible in. Can I have an amen? They don't have the Bible. Now it's getting more and more, but we've heard stories of, of people in, in places that have had parts of the Bible. But, or it can't be just Jerusalem because there are people that will never, even in today, that will never get to Jerusalem. They'll never get there. So the holiest place for God to meet you is not a place on earth, but it is a place in time that everybody in every corner of the world can get there, and that's called the Sabbath, right? And on the seventh day, God created the Sabbath, and he made that day holy. Now, I want you to realize that no denomination said the Sabbath was holy, no, no organization said the Sabbath was holy. God said the Sabbath was holy, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And it is a place in time. Many, some, I pray this doesn't happen, but maybe some of you will never place your hands on the Western Wall. Maybe some of you will never stand on the steps of the Temple Mound until, until we're in the New Jerusalem, where, where Peter said, this was that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I, I pray that you all do. I pray that you all go to Israel with us. But every one of us may not go to that holy place, but every one of us, every Friday evening, can stop and enter into that holy place in time that God said was holy, which is the Sabbath. Now, we know we battle not with flesh and blood, but we do battle with what? 
We battle not with flesh and blood, but we do battle with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in high places. And unfortunately, now now listen to what I'm saying. Unfortunately, sometimes evil comes by men. How many know that not everybody that sits in the pew is born again? How many know that not everybody that stands behind the pulpit is born again? Now, this may shock you, but sometimes people will use Christianity. I can remember one time when we were living in Spokane, Washington, I went to buy a car. We went to Tiz and I went to get a used car. And the guy is talking to us, oh, glad you're here. Good to have you here. And what do you do for a living, Mr. Hawk? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, excuse me. Goes in. Next thing comes out with a little dove lapel button. It's like, oh, now I'm going to buy it from you because you are an honest Christian. Have you, ever, have you ever done business with somebody that's got a fish on their truck and ends up being the worst job for the most money? Okay, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord's entering into the kingdom, they're going to do business with me. So sometimes people even go to church to sign you up for business. Amen? Now this may shock you, but sometimes people will use the office of the ministry for financial and political gains. So as the Bible, it was being, as the Bible was being interpreted 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus, a group of quote-unquote church leaders with political and financial ideas got together, and it was called the Council of Nicaea. Okay, this was the council in Turkey, modern-day Turkey nowadays, when Constantine, the Roman emperor, declared that all of the Roman Empire are not Christians. They may have never heard of Jesus. They may have never heard of Christianity. But because you're under the Roman Empire, we declare you Christians. Now, the only problem in that was a lot of these people made their money through pagan religion. Are you following me? And all the pagan religions did not worship on Saturday, the seventh day, the day God said was holy, but they worshiped on, take a wild guess, Sunday, the day you worshiped the sun, which was one of the many gods. And so they got together. Now, now listen to me. We're not changing the day we come together. God says, my people destroyed for what reason? It's the only thing. And so if the devil can keep us from understanding the truth, then that truth, even though it's truth, cannot set us free. Let let me back up, give you an example. Tiz and I have never, ever, in all of our Christian walk, missed our tithe. Never. We've never made a pledge and not paid it. But it took us 17 years to learn that God wanted us to prosper. The group that I was in told us God wants us poor. And they used scripture to prove that God wants us poor. Of course, we found out that the leaders said God wants us poor. He didn't want them poor. Anybody ever been around a Christian leader like that? Okay, and they used scripture that was twisted 
How many know you can make the Word of God say anything you want if you twist it? Okay? I can show you where you ladies ought not wear jewelry. But every lady likes to wear jewelry. And someday real gold, not fake gold, real pearls, not fake pearls. Amen? Okay? But I can show you Scripture. I can show you Scripture where ladies ought not wear pants. Okay? But that's not what it means. I can show you where men... Uh, uh, ladies ought not cut their hair, or, me, or me, men, men ought not have long hair. You can make the Word of God say whatever you want it to say, but that's not what it says. And so they took Scripture to prove that Jesus, if we really wanted to serve God, we had to be poor. Jesus was born in a barn. Jesus, you know, was born in, in rags. They, they wrapped Jesus in, and so on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, I began to hear the Word of God, by not them, but guys like Creflo Dollar and Kenneth Copeland and John Avanzini and, and other people. And all of a sudden I realized, you mean God doesn't want me to be poor? And then all of a sudden Jesus became poor so we could become rich. All of a sudden that made sense not to dominate us, but to set us free. So man will teach the word of God to make it say what he wants it to say. That's why as we read the New Testament, We have to go to the Old Testament to make sure these things match and that nobody added or subtracted to the Word of God. Are you with me? Okay. So the other day, Tiz and I were driving into into church, and we heard a preacher on the radio, and he says, did you ever wonder why it was that Jesus didn't talk about the Sabbath? He talked about all the other Ten Commandments, but Jesus didn't talk about the Sabbath. Well, I'm going to show you tonight that the Bible talk in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talked about the Sabbath all the time. But he's, he's, this is a huge church here in Dallas, and, and it's common thinking amongst the church. And he says this. this he's talking, this is going all over the wor- world. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't talk about the Sabbath? Well, it's because he changed it, and it proves he changed it in Acts chapter 20, and then he went right on. Well, number one, you can't take one verse and make it mean, you, even if it's in there, you can't build a doctrine on one verse. Amen? Can I give you an example? I see where Jesus knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. Okay? We're not doing no foot washings here. I'm not washing your stinky feet. And you're not washing my stinky feet. Not, well, it's in the Bible. It was in the Bible one time because Jesus, the Son of God, is about to turn the whole destiny of the world in the hands of 12 men that needed to understand don't get caught up in pride pride comes before a fall and as you preach i am going to confirm this word with signs and wonders and miracles and people are going to want to put you on a pedestal and bow down and especially when you get into the gentile world because the gentiles are so used to pagan idolatry and so i want you to realize those i use the most must be servants of all so it was there to teach them a lesson physically because in those days the lowest servant as you walked, there were no sidewalks there were no paved streets and so as you walked from here to 
to the Cowboy Stadium, you're walking on dirt, you're sweating, and so the lowest end of the servant would be the one that when you came in, washed your feet so you wouldn't track that into the house. And so Jesus is saying those who are going to be greatest shall be servants of all. It's not to build a doctrine around it. So you never take one scripture and, and allow a doctrine to be built. That's how, that's how the church gets caught off in every wind of doctrine. And so, you know, all of a sudden we're all doing the laughing thing and we're all doing this thing and we're all doing that thing. If you build the house on the sand, it's going to fall. But if you build it on the word of God, the rock of God, that no matter what storm comes against your life, that house will stand. Can I have an amen? Saying that, understanding that it's not enough to read the Bible, or even worse, let somebody else read it for you, but the Bible says that we're to study the Word of God, study it correctly, rightly dividing the Word of God. So we can't just read it and not study it or hear it, not study it, if we really want to know what it's going to say, okay? One of the things that the church robbed us from is the miracle of the Sabbath. Now, I'm not telling you stop going to church on Sunday because that's, that's one of the worst things that we can do because that confuses the world. All of a sudden, we, all of a sudden we become so Hebrew-minded, we, we, we alienate ourselves from the world. We will be, in, in, until the Lord speaks loud and clear, we will always meet on Sunday because that's the day we reach the world. On Friday night, we welcome in the miracle and the Lord of the Sabbath. So knowing, and I'm going to show you this in a minute, that that Sabbath is a day of miracles. Every day is a day of miracles, but the Sabbath is a pointed day. The enemy, even though we battle not with flesh and blood, the enemy uses flesh and blood to get us away from the revelation of the Word of God because once we know that truth, that truth will set us free. And so the devil came in for the last 1,700 years amongst the Gentiles who believe in Jesus, and he stole them the Sabbath, and this right here is the one Scripture that the church uses. Let's read together Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, how many of your Bibles pretty much say that same thing? Raise your hand. All right. This is the scripture that the church uses to confirm that God changed the day that the apostles met from the seventh day to the first day, which is Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and etc., etc. And so, so, now look at me. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, nowhere does it say, does Jesus say, does Paul say, does Peter say, does anyone say, we are now meeting on Sunday instead of Saturday. But this has become accepted church doctrine because of this one scripture. But look at it real closely again. Chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first, what's the next word? What do you see about the word day? It's italicized. 
What does it mean when you see a word italicized? Man added the word. Why did he add the word? Well, he was trying to explain it. He was trying to change it. He was trying to appease people so that they would, so we could have unity economically and politically so that we would change it from the Sabbath to Sunday because that's the day everybody worships the sun. But look at me. The number one reason is to sever us from our Jewish roots and sever us from the miracle that Jesus gave us as being the Lord of the Sabbath. Now look at it without the word day. Now on the first of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now, there's a good friend of mine that has taken the Bible and gone back to the original text, to the original text. And uh, this is the complete Jewish Bible by a friend of ours named David Stern in Jerusalem. And let me read it to you in its original text. Now, you've got to understand that man can get in there and mess up the Word of God. That's why we're to study the Word of God rightly dividing, correctly dividing, okay? Let me read that same scripture in the original text. On Motsa-e-Shabbat, when they were gathered together to break bread, Saul addressed them since he was going to leave the next day. The original text says, on Motsa-e-Shabbat, Anybody speak Hebrew? What does it mean? It means Motsai Shabbat, first of the week. It means the, the, the Hebrew is immediately following Shabbat. So the original text does not say on the first of the week or the first day of the week. In, in American Europe, we think of a day starting with sunrise and a day ending with sunrise. But in the Bible, the day started when? Sunset. Right now, as the sun, it, it literally, when you see, of course, it's, it's, you can't see it in Dallas ever, but when you see three stars in the sky, it's the next day. So when it goes from, from light to twilight, it's the beginning of the next day. So right now, even though on our calendar we are in Friday, in reality, we are now in Saturday. Right now, we are on the seventh day of the week according to the Bible. Are you following me? So if the seventh day starts now, when does the seventh day end? Tomorrow night at what time? At twilight. So if, if the seventh day ends at twilight, when does the first day begin? Saturday evening at twilight. So now watch this. See, this is, this, is, this is why in the end times we're going to come to the truth that will set us free, that will bring in the Messiah. What we're learning here is we are tearing down that wall that divides us so the Messiah can come, but there's going to be a people of miracles before that happens. So we've got to realize that in some ways... The church, many of the church fathers, we have inherited lies from those church fathers. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to sit in a confessional booth and talk to a man who will talk to God for us. Can I have an amen? When Jesus said it's finished, that curtain between man and God was ripped wide open. 
That is the tabernacle of David that we can go boldly before the throne of God. I believe this year we're going into a stage in the tabernacle of David where the music is so anointed by God. It's so supernatural. In the tabernacle of David where we got the Psalms and we get all these songs, it was so supernatural that the people would hear the voice of God and begin to sing. David put a, a recorder in there 24 hours a day where he would be writing down these supernatural songs of God. The miracles were flowing continually. But the basis of all of that is understanding this time that we can meet with God and welcome in for the whole rest of the week the supernatural power of God. So the enemy, the devil that doesn't want us to know, the devil doesn't want us to know about healing. The devil doesn't want us to know about prosperity. The devil doesn't want us to know about forgiveness. The devil doesn't want us to know, but why? Because God said, my people destroy. My people destroy for what reason? Lack of knowledge. So he's blinded us until these last days. Now, l- let me read this again. On Mozai Shabbat, on the end of Shabbat, when we were gathered together to break bread. Now, let me, let me once again show you how to read the Bible through, through Jewish Paul and not Gentile Paul. When you begin Shabbat, what do you do? You gather together and you do, you do what? You break bread. When you end Shabbat, this is called, at the beginning of Shabbat, when we get together and we welcome the Sabbath and we have meals with our families and our friends, and and this is called Shabbat. At the end of Shabbat, you break bread again, which is called Havdalah. And the reason why you break bread is in Shabbat, you light the two candles representing joy and peace. That nothing steal our joy, nothing steal our peace. Our, the peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. On Havdalah, you have a candle that has all these strands around. I wish I'd have brought my Havdalah candle. You have this candle that has all of these strands together. Okay, they're multi, multi wicks. How many have ever seen a Havdalah candle? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, multi, multi wicks. When we light Shabbat, as it gets dark out there, we light Shabbat to teach our family, our children, no matter how dark it gets out there, in here, the light of God, the peace and the joy of God will always be on us. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he shed his blood how many places? Okay, most people don't know that either. So we're moving into a supernatural. On Havdalah, when we gather together to break bread, you light the multi-wick candle, but you don't let it burn out. You light it, and then you put it out. Does anybody remember? You put it out with the wine or the grape juice. Why? Because you're not letting the world take your light out. You're putting that light out by wine or grape juice, which is a symbol of joy, so that the world can never extinguish the joy of God in your life for the whole rest of the week. So are you picturing this? So here the church, here the church got together and they had Shabbat. Then they had Sabbath on Saturday. Here Saturday night, Saturday evening is happening. And so they, the, the Sabbath is over, 
And as it's over, they meet together at the end of the Sabbath to break bread. So they're not meeting on Sunday morning. They are meeting on Saturday evening, Havdalah, to break bread. This is the scripture that Bible says, this is the scripture that we were told because we go, well, when did they change one of the Ten Commandments? Well, right here. But if you read it, number one, they left something out, and then they, number two, they added something in there. They left out Mozai Shabbat at the end of the Sabbath, and, and most Gentiles aren't taught that at the end of the Sabbath, you're to meet together and thank God that this whole next week is going to be blessed of God and to receive all of what Jesus paid for by the seven places he shed his blood. And so they make this up, and they say, well, they canceled Saturday, and they moved into Sunday. They did not. Say amen. It takes seven to complete, and in Hebrew, it's seven plus one, which is eight. It takes seven, it takes seven to complete, and on the eighth, the supernatural is added. It takes seven days to cleanse the temple, and on the eighth, the supernatural comes. But if we don't know this, my people destroy for what reason? Our lack of knowledge. So we're not changing from Sunday to Saturday because Sunday's a good fishing day and a good day to study. It's a good day to study Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. But for us to welcome in the end time supernatural, we do that come Friday evening when, when God said, I've given you a holy place in time that I will meet with you. You may not be able to get to Jerusalem. You may not even have, you may not even be allowed to open your Bible at your school or where you work, but nobody can keep you from walking through this time. And so God gave it so no man could ever limit us from walking into God, what the first thing that God made holy, and that was the Sabbath day, the day of menuha, the day of rest and anointing and peace and joy and prosperity. Why is that so important? Because the the Bible teaches us that the Sabbath is a taste of things to come. When we welcome in the Sabbath, God will supernaturally give us rest from our bills and rest from our enemy and rest from our health and rest. It's a supernatural time. So, so when Jesus said, taste of me and see if I'm not good, he's talking to people in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is not talking to the Gentile church. Jesus is talking to Jews. Ken, right? He's talking to Jews. So when he says to them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, taste of me and see if I'm not good, he's talking to people that know exactly what he means because on the Sabbath, you are to walk in. In matter of fact, in Hebrew, it says the Sabbath stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone will open the door and let it in, it will come in and sup with you. And, and, and eat with you and drink with you. And so every Jew knows that the Sabbath is a portal in time, a window of heaven that every week, whether we're in Jerusalem or Dallas, we can walk into God's menuha and have a taste of what it's going to be like in eternity where there's no bills and no sickness and no sorrow and no divorce and no anger and no depression and no 
gas prices. And the closer we get to his second coming, the more this will be on people. If the Messiah doesn't come, there will be eyes of people who will open up. They will begin to see what God is saying to them. They will have eyes to see and ears to hear, and they will become until the coming. There will become a flow that will never stop again. It will never stop again, and we will become the people of miracles that uh, I think I've taught this here. Remember where Jesus said, you are the light of the world? Okay, what does that mean? Okay, it means that, and, and, and we're the salt of the earth. We, God doesn't give a light and put it under a bushel basket. If the salt loses its flavor, it, it's good for nothing. What that, that, that's where this comes from, is that, is that God is looking for people that will be his light. Because, because darkness can never stand against light. Light will push darkness away. Darkness cannot push light away. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have light and you have darkness, turn on the light. The darkness always loses. And so the, the Hebrew understanding of this is when he says you are the light of the world is that God wants to, wherever you go, tell them the kingdom of his hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. What does it mean in the last days? I will pour out my spirit. There'll be signs and wonders and miracles. Listen, cancer is darkness. Divorce is darkness. Racism is darkness. Poverty is darkness. Hatred is darkness. Violence is darkness. But God is going, and it matches exactly with what the rabbis are saying, is God is going to start turning the light on in these last days that they're... Now, now watch this. If we turn these lights on, so much darkness is exposed. But if we turn these lights on, more darkness is expelled. And then we turn those lights on, and so God is going to be looking for people that will be bringing the light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, signs and wonders and miracles. And when enough darkness is pushed back and enough light is in the world, the Messiah will come and rule and reign. Guys, that's us. When I came here, God said, I don't want this church in Dallas built because people want to come with signs and wonders and miracles. I want you to build it on the Word. Build it on the Word of God. Because if you just build it on signs, wonders, and miracles, if you just build it on Word and everything, then when, if the Word's not moving, then, then people are flaky, they move here. He said, I want you to build the leadership of this church on those that are hungry for the Word of God. That's the rock. And so in the last few months, God's been stirring me, stirring me, stirring me. It's time, for the, it's time to move in the gifts. It's time for the gifts. It's time for the gifts. Man, we are this close. We are not, we are not five minutes from midnight, folks. We are five seconds from midnight. And when you look at how things explode, how things are exploding worldwide, in, not just in bad, but in good, you, you think about... For the first three or four thousand years, man, the, the furthest man went from walking to riding a horse and a wagon. In the last 50 years, we've gone, or in the last 80 years, we've gone for a horse and a wagon to putting a man on the moon. Do you see the explosion that's taking place here? In 4,000 years, we went from walking to a wagon. In the last 80 years, we went from a, a horse and buggy 
to putting a man on the moon. But the thing that we got to realize is, is as things grow exponentially in the good, they also grow exponentially in the bad. In other words, once something is invented in this world, it can never go back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Once we learned how to make an atom bomb, you can never take that back away. So when for the 4,000 years we have uh, gone from walking to a horse and wagon, and then in the last 80 years or 60 years or whatever it is, we've gone from a horse and wagon or to a Model A Ford to putting a man on the moon, we've also gone in that technology of healing the sick and medicine, but also we've gone in that that 80 years or 100 years ago you shot a, a, a ball and musket Today, somebody can push a button in Iran and blow us up. So everything is showing. Everything is showing. We are, man, we are, we are, we are right there. Everything is, is snowballing in this huge ongoing effect. But to us, that's not bad. To us, that's wonderful because the Bible says in the last days, I mean, we look at what was in the church, in the first church, and Jesus said, and this is why I'm going to preach on Sunday, Jesus said, greater than these shall you do. How can we do greater than opening blind eyes, seeing cripples walk? Because in Jesus' day, it was Jesus. And then in the apostles' day, it was 12. But in these last days, the rabbi said, the rabbis are saying he is going to go across and he is going to find people of miracles and there will be signs and wonders everywhere, but we're not going to take the credit. We're going to give him all the praise and give him all the glory and not build our own kingdom, but build his kingdom. And folks, I am absolutely convinced in Judaism, the, the Jacob's ladder where the angels are ascending and descending, the first ladder to touch the miracles of God is the Sabbath. That's why Jesus said, don't you understand? Get out of this legalism. The Sabbath was not created, or man was not created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve man. This this portal in the windows of heaven was created to serve you and I. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And when we open that door, that is the first rung to the steps of miracles where the angels of God are coming and going. And we are going to be a people that see the miracle power of God. And listen to me. When, when the mirror, listen, pride comes before fall. And I know I don't need to say this, but I want to say it anyway. As God begins to use you, gives you a song that as people, as you sing it, people are healed, cancers delivered. Don't go looking for a Grammy. Look for God to give him all the praise and all the glory. If somebody, if somebody walks in and you lay hands on them, and they get healed of some tumor or some paralysis. Don't go looking for a TV program. Look to give God all the praise and all the glory. And I'm telling, and, and, and if, and if God gives you money, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, don't get too busy to remember to keep God first in your life. And if we'll do that, we are in for the greatest run in the history of the world. I believe it's going to, in many people, it's going to be instantaneous. I believe in most people, it's going to be a gradual because we're not going to be able to handle it. And God showed us this. 
We've seen this over and over again in the Christian world where all of a sudden God raises somebody up out of obscurity and, and, and gives them some kind of gift. And next thing you know, it's all about the money. It's all about the numbers. It's all about me. God does not have another generation. So I believe it's going to be that gr- gradual, are you faithful? God, if, if, uh, if all of a sudden you're making, making 30000 all of a sudden you're making 60000 God's going to see if you're faithful. Somebody said to us uh, uh, a couple years ago, how does it feel to be an overnight success? There's no such thing as an overnight success. You may not be seeing the money right now. You may not be seeing the gifts right now. You may be. I remember a guy said to me, he said, you know who you are, Pastor? You're David that God had back in the fields tending the sheep. So right now, you need every time, every time, you, 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 every time God begins to bless you, God, you need to hear these words in your spirit. This is a test. Because he doesn't have another generation that we can mess it up. The day of the massive egos are gone. They should have never been here, but they're gone. They're gone. The day that, that it's all about us is gone. And so I believe in all my heart that as we, the beginning of this is we, 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 we welcome the Sabbath. And all those Sabbath miracles begin to come. I believe many, many, many of you, many of us are going to see all of our battles turned upside down. But don't blow it. Let's not blow it. If all of a sudden, here, I'll help you if you help me. Okay, if all of a sudden when I walk down the aisle, my bodyguards have to be like this so you don't touch the anointing, okay, you grab me and slap me in the head. But if you start making a whole lot of money and you stop coming to church, I get to slap you in the head. Oh, come on, what's good for the goose? Right? If all of a sudden God gives you a song, and that song is supernatural. And I mean to tell you, all of a sudden, it's one of those songs that, that sweep the world, sweeps the world. And all of a sudden, you're too big to sing. God's going to use you. There are going to be miracles. The key is not doing a miracle service, just a miracle service. The key is miracles are happening in the pew. And at, uh, I'm, if, the, if the Bible is true about Jesus, the Bible is true about the latter rain. And the latter rain is going to be the greater. If the Bible is true, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a glorious bride without spot, no debt, without wrinkle, no sickness. That means that, that, means that God is going to cancel debts and release. That's, it's got, if, if, it's, if it's true in one part, it's true in the other. And if I'm reading this right and I'm looking at all the signs of the Messiah coming and Israel becoming a nation and in that last generation and all the things that were happening with the Jews and the Gentiles and we're tearing down that middle wall and we're coming back to Shabbat and we're remembering all these things are saying the Messiah is coming. He's coming for a glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle. Without spot, without wrinkle means no debt, no sickness. That means that he's got to find a people. He's running to and fro looking for someone. He can be strong in their behalf. And he will confirm the word 
with signs and wonders and miracles. We're going out the lender, not the borrower. We're going out in charge of the money, not the money in charge of. Somebody give me an amen. amen. But I have seen, and, and, and the reason I use preachers is, is so because I don't, you know, I don't want to just pick on the pew. I've seen preachers get caught. I've gotten caught up in pride. When I first started going on television, man, I thought I was something. Man, I mean to tell you, I remember when somebody, the first time somebody recognized me. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm, I'm Reverend Dr. Larry Hawk. And for a month, God let me preach by myself. Pride comes before a fall. I, but I've seen it happen in the, pew, in, the, in the pulpit. I've seen it happen in the pew. I've seen God take people that were so poor, they, couldn't, they not only couldn't pay their bills, they couldn't pay attention. And all of a sudden, they're making bunches of money. I mean, bunches of money. And all of a sudden, you don't see them in church anymore. L- l- listen to me. God does not have another generation to raise up. He does not have another generation to raise up. So if I'm going to blow it, if I'm going to get caught up in pride and I think I'm really something, if I'm going to blow it, he knows that and he will not use me in this latter rain. If you're going to blow it, he knows that too. So you got to determine that you got to be willing. Listen, every one of us can blow it. Every one of us can get caught up in pride. Every one of us can get so much money. We don't, we don't need God. You know, everybody prays when they're poor. It's when we're not poor that we don't think we need God anymore. God knows. So we need, to be a, we need to be willing to be surrounded by each other and keep each other in line and saying, you know what? You're getting off track here. Amen? You all heard the story of the guy. It's an old church story, true story. It's a guy who, who got, out of, got out of prison or was homeless or whatever, came in, got saved in the church. Church gave him a job as janitor. Uh, lived in the back of the church, and then he started doing other janitorial things and built a janitorial business. And pretty soon, he was a multi, multi millionaire over several years, multi millionaire. And one day, the, the, the pastor uh, uh, saw him come to church, realized, man, I haven't seen this guy in months. And so he came and said, Pastor, can I, uh, can I uh, talk to you a minute? And he said, Sure. He said, uh, you know, when I first got saved, you gave me a job as a janitor. I said, he said, Pastor, yeah, I remember that. He said, you know, I, I, I made a vow that I would always pay my tithe. And he said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, Pastor, when I, when I made that pledge to God, I, you know, my tithe was $10 a week. He said, I, I, the reason I came is he said, I'm, I know I haven't been here lately. I'm so busy. I got businesses all over the country now. And he said, you know, he said, be honest with you. He said, I can't afford to tithe anymore. He said, it was $10, $10 a week, but now it's like $10,000 a week. He said, would you agree with me? I mean, God understands. Would you agree with me that God would release me from my vow to tithe? The pastor said, you know, I can't do that, but I can pray with you that God will bring you back to where you can afford to tithe. Amen. You know, this is the seventh church. This is the seventh church that Tiz and I have pioneered. Last one. Seventh. The number of completion. 
From here, it's all spiritual building. No, I, I, this is the last one. This is the last one. We know that. We, we know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I believe on those seven, it's completion. Now, we move into the divine. I have no doubt that's why God, that why God brought me here. But I'm going to tell you something. Every one of those seven was a test. When we first got saved, we said that Tiz and I said to the Lord, we got saved, we met in church, we got married. We said, Lord, our life is not our own. It's bought with a price. We'll go wherever you want us to go. We'll do whatever you want us to do. But we were 26 then. So when we, when we built our first church in three years, God said, I want you to give that up, go to Australia. We didn't want to do it, but you know. Now, now I'm 30, Tiz is 32. <laughs> Not true. Tiz was 22. Then God said, do it again. Then God said, do it again. Then God said, do it again. Now, this was hard, everyone we spent three years at. And God said, do it again. The last one we spent 16 and a half years. Every other church in three years was six, seven, eight hundred people. Last one was four or five thousand. Last one had eighteen million dollars worth of debt free property. And God said, Sow that. Walk away. Sow it. Give it. No strings attached. If we hadn't been faithful in the first, we could have never been faithful in the second. Do you understand? It's impossible. Well, you might know it's impossible. If you're not faithful in the first, there is no second. If you and I are not faithful where we are right now, we can never be faithful to the next level because you have to be faithful where you are. So as God is speaking to us, and we're looking at how close we are to the coming of the Lord, folks, let me tell you something. This is a time that is the most exciting in our lives, spiritually, physically, financially. I've been doing this for 32 years, and I'm telling you, the Word of God is coming alive so much. I mean, it's like I'm addicted to it. It's just like, what, what's next? What are you going to show us next? Because it's, it's, like, it, it's, it's like, okay, for the first the first. 30 years, I grew this much. In the last three years, I, we, have, we are growing exponentially. We've been faithful. I believe if you're here in this building, or not even in this building tonight, but you're part of this church, it's because God is handpicking you. I really do. So, so if, you're, if you're going through anything, if you're going through anything, maybe you're going through, maybe the devil's hitting your home a little bit, or he's hitting your finances a little bit, or he's hitting your health a little bit. It's because he wants you to drop the ball. You are on the 99.999 yard line, and you are about to go in for the biggest touchdown of your life, and it'll never end. Amen.